This is Mark Steiner, folks, and welcome to another podcast. This is part of our new series called Different Takes on Russia and the U.S. Elections. Baltimore Reverend Dr. Heber Brown III is pastor at the Pleasant Hope Baptist Church. He's founder of the Aretas Cross Freedom School and the Black Church Food Security Network. He appeared on NBC's The Beat with Ari Melbar to talk about his encounter with Russian interference during the Freddie Gray uprising through the discovery of the Facebook page they created called The Blacktivist. The Reverend Dr. Heber Brown joins us in studio. So once again, it's great to have you in the studio with us. Thank Reverend you, Mark. Dr. Heber Brown, always good to see you. Great to be with you. So the other day when I was looking at Facebook and saw this piece pop up, uh, NBC News New York, with Ari Melber mm-hmm. and you yeah. from a studio in Baltimore, yeah. talking about Russian, it's, the headline was, Inside Secret Russian Plot to Suppress Black Voter Turnout, and that's been a big news lately, we can talk about it in a minute, yeah. but what does it have to do with Bmore yeah. and the struggle after Freddie Gray's death? Yeah, yeah, it was about the, the one-year commemoration of his death when, you know, just like the summer of 2015, there was a lot of energy around trying to hold rallies and protests. There were people coming from everywhere, as you know. Um, And some of those folks were coming to help and support local people who have been doing this work in the city for a long time. And then there were other folks (laughs) who were coming (laughs) trying to use Baltimore as a stage and platform for themselves. So knowing, um, remembering that that happened in 2015, when the one-year commemoration comes around, um, I and many others, many others, were already kind of sensitized and on guard to, okay, here we go again. The circus is coming back to town. People are going to use Freddie Gray and use Baltimore for their own, um, for their own aims. And this blacktivist account started popping up in my social media. And at first I didn't think anything, anything of it. I was a little perturbed because the profile image that the, this account utilized was a picture of Freddie Gray's face. And that was a little... I was a little perturbed by that because I saw it as somebody, again, using Freddie Gray and his, and his family's misery um, to kind of put something you know, forward in their own social media persona. That kind of perturbed me, but it didn't raise any, any big flags. Mm-hmm. But the things that started grabbing me really, Mark, was when this account started uh, promoting a rally in Baltimore. And when they started promoting this rally, and I think they, I think they did inbox me and ask me to help help put the word out. And I said, well, I don't know who you are. You know, um, I started asking other people uh, in the community, anybody know this black activist person is? Nobody could say, nobody vouched for them. And so what I ended up with doing was just confronting the person directly. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, I'm hearing you're not from Baltimore. The person admitted, I'm not from Baltimore, but we have friends there, whatever that means. And in my confrontation in the inbox, I just said, well, basically, no, you're going about this totally wrong. Everything I've learned, Mark, from Ella Baker and her community organizing, the importance of relational organizing, this this account was violating all of that. And I just felt some kind of way about it, challenged a person, told them to cancel their event. Well, they said, we feel ashamed. We're so sad about this. How, how can we make it right? I basically said, cancel your event post a public apology, and follow the lead of local people who live here and been doing this all their lives. And um, I screenshotted that that encounter and put it on Facebook to share with others because they were people that I knew who had RSVP'd on Facebook saying that they were going to go to that rally. And I was just trying to do 
uh, my piece in part to say, hey, everybody, you know, uh, uh, be careful about this event. It doesn't look like it's done by somebody who's local. You might want to reconsider being a part of it. Some have accused me of, of being um, kind of territorial in, in trying to say, <laughs> you know, somebody tweeted me after the MS. I mean, it's crazy. You go on TV, man, you become a target for all kind of stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> Some folks started tweeting me saying you was just jealous because you weren't in charge of the rally and, you know, you were mad that somebody else was going to get some shine. I was like, man, you really don't know me, man. I've, <laughs> I've been doing the rallies and the protests and the stuff. This is nothing new. It wasn't like, you know, me being mad about anything like that. It more so was about me feeling like I have a responsibility to my city, this city that has taught me, groomed me, um, shaped me, given me all, a wide range of experiences. And now I was in a position um, to, to at least be in a small way, a little guardian of one slice of the pie, the big pie of Baltimore and say, hey, hey, everybody, watch out. Watch out for this event. So that really was what it was about. And me sharing the screenshot of it was to kind of warn other people about being careful about the event. So what? a couple of things. Yeah. Because people don't know you, and they don't know that the, yeah. the things you did during the, the time when the rebellion began, mm -hmm. when you were out there on Liberty Heights and Gwynn's yeah. Falls yeah. trying to save the kids, mm -hmm. get them on the buses, figure out how to get them home. Yeah. But you didn't, like, put a sign up saying, oh, I'm Reverend Doctor, you were right, right here to save the children. <laughs> right. you, you were just doing the work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that really well. Yeah, mm, yeah. So, but what did this have to do with the Russians? How did that slide into this? Yeah, so it turns out it was in September of 2017 when I think uh, CNN put a piece out, and that was the first place I saw it, other places did it too, but they were saying they were, it was rumored that this blacktivist account was actually a part of some type of Russian operation. Uh, trying to either infiltrate or steer some energy from the social unrest in the country, uh, steered in such a direction that it aligned with whatever their agenda is, to impact the election in some kind of way, I guess. That's what some are saying. So it was, wasn't until September 2017 that the rumors hit the me mainstream media, and I heard that there might have been a Russian connection to this whole thing. Uh, another local activist, Brittany Oliver, oh, yeah, who sure. leads um, Not Without Black Women, she actually was the one that texted me like 7.30 in the morning, like, Heber, look at this article. And because uh, she remembered the the person as well, and we had kind of talked about it. She sends me the article. I read it. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I knew that the people who were behind this account were out of town. I didn't know how far out of town, uh, based on what Mueller is, is, is saying, uh, that this is a Russian piece. So it wasn't until last year sometime that I really found that. And then, of course, with the indictments coming out, uh, you know, last last week, uh, really, you know, cemented that this was far bigger than anything I ever imagined behind so, this account. So in a political sense, yeah. larger political sense, both yeah. in terms of this whole issue of the investigation around potential Russian meddling in the American election of, of 16, 2016, and its impact on social justice. You made you're making these connections. I mean, so, yeah. but what is so? What does this say that the Russians seem to be, in their meddling, targeting black activists and the black community? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in, in in what I said um, on MSNBC as well, I, I, the conditions were there, and it seems like that in this allegation of Russian meddling, they were trying to find places where the conditions were already set, where the energy already was, that they could kind of siphon off some of that in their own, uh, for their own agenda. Um, 
there was a lot of energy in the country at that time in multiple cities. And so if I was to look at it from their vantage point or anybody's any any, you know, element uh, elements vantage point, those become these environments become very charged and they also become front doors into societies to help move and shift some things. Russians aside, we both know there were groups here from everywhere during the rebellion and uprising of 2015. People were here from everywhere, established groups. It was almost like there were some groups, established groups, that went from city to city. Well, yes. As right. these as these uprisings, you know, happened, right. and they would just, you know, come do their thing, and then once it died down, pack up shop and go to the next city. Right. We saw that in Baltimore. Um, and we also just saw the random individuals who just, you know, were watching TV, got inspired, and put a book bag on their back and just came. So, but what that does is it creates it's a very dynamic, very dynamic environment where it's easy kind of just to flood and fit in and kind of blend in with the crowd. And so politically, I can see from their vantage point why it would be um, an easy way to kind of align themselves with the existing energy. Um, but also, I mean, my charge and challenge to the country is swim upstream from the issue. If Russian meddling or, Ru or meddling from any foreign element is something of great concern, if you swim upstream, you'll see the conditions that created that front door in the first place. The United States have a bunch, has a bunch of front doors for you know, various elements to come in and influence because there are so many issues in the country right now from police accountability and transparency, from or police brutality rather, quality educa you know, education, health care, DACA, go down the line, and all of these issues create pathways through which people can and elements can encroach and influence. So uh, my thing is, okay, all right, uh, United States, if you're that concerned, deal with the root issues, uh, and that'll help to at least close some of the doors for encroachment. And then for, you know, 45, I mean, he makes it easy. Uh, he's, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, he, he's, he's a, starts bonfires everywhere around the country, right. and it creates a magnetic... Uh, energy for whoever to come in, do whatever. So I say deal with the root issues. Yeah, I mean, to me, it says a lot about why the Russians, with their meddling, and I'm not one of those, I, I am one of those who believes they meddled. Yeah. I'm not one of those who believes that meddling is why Trump won. Right, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it says that they were, it says a lot about why they wanted to meddle through the black community and disenfranchise people to foment trouble because, you're, as you were saying, because mm -hmm. the, the root of our dislocation in America is about poverty, is about race and racism, yeah. and so that's where you go. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it creates the highway. It's an easy highway. Yeah. Um, and this blacktivist account was uh, retweeting and posting and echoing the same critiques that people on the ground were saying. Right. So it was it was easy. In fact, when I think about, I forgot how, exactly how many followers they had on Facebook, but it was a lot. It was easy to see why people would follow that account because the things that we were hearing from activists on the ground and also commentators on TV, and other, they were echoing those same things. So it was like, oh, yeah, I'm dead. I mean, how, how many people... How many people in your Facebook followers do you really know? Like, like we really don't know. We don't know. When I go through my list 
and look at my timeline, sometimes I'm like, who in the world are you? I know and exactly. Did, I do that like, all the time. <laughs> how do we become friends? <laughs> you know, was I tipsy one night and just, just friended everybody who hit my, like, I just don't understand it. And so I get it. People see a Blacktivist account, they see Freddie Gray's face, they see the timeline promoting things right. that align with their values. Yep, I'm going to follow that person. And, of course, then, because they post the same things that I agree with, when they post an event, of course I want to sign up and go to their event. They, we are part of the same group. But as we know, and we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, briefly, but um, – you know, that kind of infiltration, that's old, you know, American tradition. You know what I mean? That's, right. That's our history. The U.S. has been meddling in elections and overthrowing governments forever. Forever. <laughs> forever. You talk about even in, you know, the civil rights movement and COINTELPRO. I mean, that history is documented. It's there that there was a certain strategy and playbook right. as to how you infiltrate, get alongside the leadership, everybody from uh, Fred Hampton, uh, go down the line, go down the line. But Dr. King, Malcolm X. Starting starting the Spanish-American War so they could take over. Right, right, Cuba right, and the, all, and of that. And all of that. <laughs> that, that is, that right. is right. you know, and so I... I um, People should be careful not to put the United States on some pedestal of, of virtue <laughs> right. uh, when it comes to respecting sovereign nations and sovereign communities. And there's also a danger here that in, with the Russian meddling that it, it, it plays into <clears throat> the racist mythology of black folks being so dumb they're going to follow whatever they see. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That plays into this as well. It plays into it as well. And also, you just made me think about, too, this whole um, black identity extremists. And how, you know, that's a category now with the FBI. They're putting extra right. eyes on people who are, you know, on black folks who are, are pushing and furthering and um, a perspective that is it is uh, determined or uh, interpreted to be threatening to the United States. All of those streams come together. And so the, the racist mythology, black people are stupid. They don't know how to discern. The other uh, uh, lane of this is. You know, those who are promoting too much of a black identity, uh -uh, that's a threat to the United States. And oftentimes, sometimes the black community is the pawn in the middle of all these other agendas and all these other elements, um, which is unfortunate, to it, say the it, least. It is really unfortunate. And, and, it, and it does say show that the Russians are actually pretty good at what they do. Mm -hmm. If they can kind of come, come into the, create this thing called the blacktivist and really kind of relate to it in a way that drew, drew people in, mm -hmm. you know, people in the intelligence world are slick. Mm -hmm. Russians, Americans, mm -hmm. British, Israelis, whoever they are. Absolutely. South Africa, whoever they are, yeah. they're slick. Yeah. Wakandans. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. But yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, so obviously, you know, that, that there was a, a great degree of studying that happened. Like there, there was, this was not just some thrown together operation. No. When you consider how many people uh, were following this account, um, and there could be some debate about how many, how much of that was purchased, right? And that right. another side of this right. is, right, Facebook, Twitter, and social media's responsibility to kind of vet and filter this stuff, um, because if they purchased followers just to give uh, the the appearance of validity and credibility, you know, that's another whole uh, angle of this conversation. I do have to end this with just saying that you handled Ari Melbar's, Melbar's um, question, asking what you meant by receipt in a very deft <laughs> and gentlemanly way without telling him something you could have told him. <laughs> <laughs> 
man, I listen, I don't get on live TV as often as you and others, uh, Mark. So I said, how do I as uh, gently as possible lay out what? Do you know I had people uh, tweeting me, thanking me for explaining what receipts is? I said, man, this TV thing is something else, man. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But well, you yeah. earned, earned your receipts. Yeah, <laughs> receipts. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Heber Brown, oh. thank you so much for being here. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at mark at steinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast.